Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word now and consider the truth therein. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that if we are in a place, Lord, that is not best for exalting you, for glorifying you, this morning we would understand that by the ministry of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's all turn there. <clears throat> By way of uh, summary, thus far we have talked about the first two milestones of, dis- of a framework of discipleship. This isn't the framework for discipleship. This is a framework for discipleship. And the reason we wanted to give this is so that you can have a handle to know where you're at in your Christian walk. And when you're discipling others, this is a way to gauge, as a milestone would, how far you've come and which direction you're going. Knowledge is an important part of discipleship and our first milestone because it allows the disciple to be able to navigate Scripture and interpret Scripture. Very important. The second milestone being holiness. Holiness does two things. Holiness is what reveals identity, whether you are a Christian or not. If you are not holy, you are not a Christian. And it, it shows the world the character of God. It shows who God is by our actions. We act like Christ, therefore the world sees Christ. And now lastly, faith. Faith is essential, of course, to be able to live the holy life. And so it's important to disciple faith for two reasons. It's important to disciple faith because faith saves and faith sustains. Faith saves and faith sustains. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm just going to kind of hit a couple of high points. You can skim along there. And then we're really going to pick up in verse 32 of chapter 11. But he describes what faith is. And I'm not here to do that. Just like the other milestone sermons, I'm not here to tell you what faith is and how it's utilized. I'm here simply to show you the importance of it. If you need to know how to fill that out, well, then you can come to the class, which will be three weeks from now. Faith saves. Abel, I'm sorry, um, first Enoch is given as an example of saving faith in that Ab- uh, Enoch walked with God and one day he was just not. He just walked right up to heaven. He was saved from death. He was an heir of salvation, I'm sorry, of righteousness by his faith. Second, Noah. Noah, in faith, built the ark and saved all life in doing so. Faith saved. Abraham, in faith, obeyed God and therefore brought the opportunity for life and blessing to all nations of the earth. Sarah, by faith in God, conceived Isaac, the first of that great nation of faith. 
Moses. By faith, his parents put him in a little reed basket so he'd float down the Nile. And he was saved. By faith, Moses gave the people of Israel the command in Passover to put the blood over the doorposts of the house so that the death angel, when he came over, did not kill the firstborn child in those homes. By faith, the children of Israel were saved from Pharaoh's army by walking through the Red Sea. By faith, Rahab was saved from the armies of Israel when she sent the, the, the soldiers looking for those spies another way and kept them safe. By faith, people were saved. By faith in the Old Testament, people were saved. And by faith in the New Covenant, people are saved. We are justified by faith, it says in Romans chapter 5. And we therefore have peace with God. Peace with God. Our faith is what saves. It says in Ephesians, you are not, we are saved not of works, right? Lest any man should both. It is by, by grace through faith that we are saved. Faith saves. Faith saves. And as it picks up here in verse 32, he goes on. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You see, faith has the ability to save even in the conditions that we have right here. What does that mean? It means that we don't have to be cowards. That's what it means. It means that we can live our Christian faith out. We can walk in holiness amongst the people we work with, even our boss, And we can declare the gospel. We can live holy lives. And when we're threatened to do otherwise, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. Because we have saving faith. Does that mean that faith's going to... Really, if you get in a jam or you suffer as a Christian, it's because you didn't have enough faith? Absolutely not. What I'm not saying is that faith delivers you from suffering. It certainly does not. How do I know that? Because it, that's not what the Hebrew writer meant either. He says, continuing in verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This is, this is also what faith can do. See, that's strange. What was all that talk about faith delivering and faith saving? Because faith saves because faith saves, we can be bold not just in the face of men, but we can be bold in the face of suffering. Because we have peace with God. 
what's the worst they can do? Send me to Jesus, right? That's the worst they can do? You can make me suffer? How does this look when it's really lived out? What does this look like? Well, I think a great example is in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is the story I'm sure you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <coughs> Jerk off of that. In this story, these exiles who'd just gotten promoted, right, to these, these places of leadership, though they were not Gentiles, they were they did not worship the Gentile gods. In fact, they couldn't even eat the meat offered unto idols. And God has restored them thus far. God has kept them safe. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, the great and awesome king, he is the champion of the known world. And the way kings worked back then is if whatever the king worshipped, you worship. You didn't really have a choice. He would conquer under certain gods, and he had a plethora of gods, and whatever gods he would conquer, and he'd find new gods, he'd put those in his, you know, the more gods you had, the better. And so he designs a new god when he, when he crafts this image. And, you know, when, when the hottest, newest, greatest god comes out, it's important to bow down and worship, especially if the king makes it. So he crafts this giant idol. Many idols, by the way, are very small. This is a gigantic image. And when the music plays, there's a list of instruments given there, they were to fall down and worship this image. Now, I think that the other officials knew that these three Jewish men were not going to bow down. And so I don't even think they had to catch them in the act. They just send word to the king immediately that these guys don't, don't serve the gods that you serve and they won't bow down to your image. And he, Nebuchadnezzar's furious about this, verse 13. Furious rage, he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? He's they're not being very nice. You remember, it wasn't very far before this that King Nebuchadnezzar actually paid tribute to their God, right? He said some very nice things about Yahweh. And now that they have the audacity not to worship his God, that's not fair. That's not tolerant. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, I'm going to give you another chance. This must have, he must have really liked these guys because he gave them another chance. When you hear the sound of the horn, pyre, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Right? You're standing before the most powerful person in the world. And he taunts you with this threat. He says, just do it. Who's the God who's going to deliver you out of my hands? Right? He calls to question their God. And they respond ever so beautifully. It's verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, don't even bother playing the music. 
If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Let me stop you right there. He is able. Such boldness. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if God doesn't deliver us, even if he sees fit that we burn, you should know that we will never go against our God. We will never worship other images. This is really the thing that made the Jewish people stand out against everyone else. There were a multitude of gods. There wasn't this, this idea that you, you worship one God only. And to worship anyone but that God would be spiritual adultery. It was foreign to any, uh, any other faith, if you will, other than the Jews. And of course, God delivers them, doesn't he? He delivers them. But that's the attitude, isn't it? To be able to say to somebody who threatens you, it doesn't matter what you do to me. First of all, if God doesn't want you to do it to me, you're just not going to be able to. And you're messing with a very dangerous person, mind you. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. Do what you got to do. Right? That kind of life, that kind of faith lived out is powerful. It's very powerful. Faith not only saves, faith sustains. It sustains. It allows people to live in a world. I think Daniel is one of the greatest ultimates of books because here we have a picture of a very small minority of believers living in a very large culture that goes against everything they believe. How, how should we live in such a culture? Here's an example. That's how we ought to live. And God can sustain us through that. He sustains us. If he sustains us, then faith, therefore, gives us sustenance, okay? Now, occasionally, I like to work out. I like to go to the gym or lift or run enough to where my conscience sort of feels better about myself and then I quit for a while, right? I'm a normal dude, okay? I do not stand above anyone in that area. But I do know that when I do go to work out, I need sustenance. And I tend to crave healthier things. I crave... Uh, Nice lean protein, I crave vitamins, I, 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 I crave all kinds of nutrients that will actually support me because I enjoy working out and it reminds me to be healthy, right? But if I'm a couch surfer, when I'm in that mode where I'm just like laying around, anything will do, okay? Oreos, Cheetos, root beer, fine, whatever. That's, I can live off that. And a, life, a Christian life lived without faith oftentimes can be lived that way. I think the reason we don't need faith as much in the Christian walk, we don't utilize it because we don't need it. We don't need it. We get our soul sustenance from a lot of things other than God. We get our well-being, feeling good, off a lot of other things. Friendships, Marriages, children, material possessions, Facebook, social media is a big one, right? I get some likes, helps my well-being. 
right? If I put a status and a little selfie out there and nobody likes it, nobody says I'm pretty, then all of a sudden, oh, I've got a bad day. How come my friends don't like me? You come to church and nobody says hi to you and you got to go find another church because no one's nice to you. You get a job opportunity that offers more money and that has to be God. Oh, that's got to be God. That's God all the way. It's got God's name all over it. Money, money, money. And you run after that. Like somebody drops one of their Cheetos under the couch and they're scrounging for that thing. That's how we live. We live of garbage. And therefore, we don't live a holy life. Paul said that, you know, physical exercise is, is, is beneficial. But godliness has promises for this life and the life to come. It's eternally beneficial to be godly. To be godly, you must walk by faith. The righteous walk by faith. Isaiah 7 says that if you don't, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And we're saved by faith. We're sustained by faith. We're sustained by it. Jesus said if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. Meaning that there's nothing that comes in the way. Nothing's impossible for the one who trusts God. Nothing. Now, I'm not saying that social media, okay, friends, material possessions, family, those are bad things. Of course, they're nice. And we get enjoyment from those things. But that's not what we rely on for well-being. When we rely on those things, our life shows it. You can't hide it. But when your life is full of faith, the holiness that you live makes everyone else want to know who your God is. Who is your God? You're a kind person. I didn't even notice until you did something nice for somebody. You didn't, you didn't say anything about it, and I just kept watching and watching and watching. And you were continually kind and loving. Teen with that gospel message you keep giving everyone, it seems like your life's completely different than mine. I want some of that. False holiness, or I would say hollow holiness, holiness that doesn't derive its power from faith, has a very ugly form. The Pharisees exhibited it all the time, right? What were Pharisees all about? They're all about blowing trumpets so that people could see how much they were giving to the temple. And, and they were about... Uh, they were about uh, praying in public places. So everybody had these long, eloquent, prayer, repetitive prayers. Everyone, oh, wow, they're so holy. You know what we call that today? Virtue signaling. And Christians are terrible at it. We are some of the worst virtue, virtue signalers out there. You know what that is? Go on Facebook sometime, and it's, I can't stand this, right? I'll never go to this, right? Getting your virtue out there so everybody knows how godly you are. But it takes no faith. No one ever asked anybody about the hope that lies within them because you don't shop at Target, okay? You don't drink Starbucks. You're not watching any more Disney movies. Good for you. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. It has nothing to do with real, genuine holiness. Do something nice for someone and don't tell anybody about it. This is what Jesus said. And your Father who sees you in secret will bless you openly. To be able to be holy 
for the reason that not everybody sees you all the time and that's why you did it, means that it's actually something that you are, not something that you're trying to look like. It's something that you are. We talked about that before. Holiness is an identity. It shows who you are. We don't identify people based on what they think or feel or the values that they have or they say they have. We identify people based on what they do. What you do is who you are. You read that in 1 John. Don't be deceived. Anybody who is righteous as he is righteous is righteous. Okay? It's very simple. You are godly. You are a son of God if you are the type of person that continuously grows in holiness and sanctification. You are sustained. You live by faith. You live on that dependence of God. The only way that as we're discipling people up, we're going to be able to help them to stop relying on the dross of the world for well-being is by calling them to reject it. Set it aside. Put God back on his throne. That song we sing, that we sang, um, has that, that chorus, um, I lift my hands to believe again. Right? It's not like lifting your hands makes you believe more. Okay? It's not like doing this action is magically making me have more faith. The point of the song is genuine worship, putting Christ on the throne, making him worth everything. When Jesus said the, the greatest commandment is to love your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, when, when we love God that way, we are really worshiping God, and he sends this amazing thing called grace. It flows through faith. And it empowers you to be able to live the Christian life, not pretend the Christian life, not act the Christian life. One of the questions we had at the end of last week was, how do I do this? I get it, holiness, I should be holy, but how do I really do this? I still fall short. You do it by faith. You do it by faith. You're not driven by guilt or anxiety or trying to keep up with other people. You're driven by faith. You were saved by faith. If you were saved by faith, why would you think that your sanctification and your well-being as a Christian comes by any other way than faith? We want to be genuine believers, genuinely following Christ by faith. Not virtue signalers. Not people just declaring playing. They used to have this machine and it was designed, I don't know, probably in the, <laughs> I don't know when it was designed, but it was called the Mueller exercise belt. And the Mueller exercise belt kind of went around you and it had this, it was this fat belt that went around your, you put it on your fatty areas and this thing would jiggle your fat. You just sit there and jiggle, jiggle away. You'd stand in the gym, let that thing jiggle. And you felt like you were really getting something done. You know, you don't see those in the gym anymore. Do you know why? Because they don't work. It was a giant, big, pardon the pun, fat lie. Okay, it was this idea that you could just stand there and lose weight. Brilliant. And the greatest thing about using it, and, and what it did most for people, is it made them feel like they were losing weight. That's what matters most. And many Christians are spinning their wheels 
thinking that they're doing something for the kingdom and they are doing nothing. Whenever you get tempted to virtue signal on the internet, just think of the, just think of the, the Mueller exercise belt. Fat getting jiggled around. That's what you're doing. It has the appearance of exercise. It has no effect. But holiness does have an effect. It's shocking to the world. They've never seen anything quite like it. And if you've walked this way, you know what I'm talking about. It's great being in this service because I can preach for as long as I want. But the, when I was in the Navy, one of the things that one of my friends who got serious about the Lord told me later was I'd never seen anyone my own age actually serious about being a Jesus follower. Never. That's something you do when you're old. What you do in your early 20s is you party and you hope that God's grace kicks in a little bit later in life. He said, I've never seen anybody our age serious. Now, that, I don't attribute that to me. I can praise the Lord for godly parents, but he had a godly mother. Ultimately, I have, to, I have to thank God for the kind of faith that allowed me to walk in grace in a dark place. Faith it doesn't bow to circumstance, see? Faith is this powerful tool. In fact, if you live in faith, you don't have to feel like you have to motivate your Christian life by knowing as much as you possibly can and trying to work as hard as you can to live it out. As a Christian, you have the privilege, unlike those in the Old Testament, you have the privilege of the Holy Spirit who comes and helps you personally, who fills you with power and grace to be able to live this Christian life in such a way that you're gonna see people around you bowing the knee and you're not gonna understand why. Because it seems like they're hearing the same thing from everybody else. But for some reason, they're looking at your life and they're saying, you're distinct. You're different. It's faith that gives people the power to be able to do that. Not knowledge. Not willpower. You say, Sam, I'm not very bold. I'm not the kind of person that can make waves where I work. If I share the gospel, I don't know. I'm not bold. I don't have the giftedness of boldness. I'm sorry but you're not going to be able to use that as a cop-out because boldness is not actually a spiritual gift. It's not something that you're, I should say, naturally good at. You don't have the personality of boldness. Big deal. That's got nothing to do with it. You don't have to be bold. You, know, remember, you guys remember, who's seen The Lion King, the cartoon The Lion King? Right? Come on. I'm sorry for those who haven't. Tim Taylor. <laughs> Hasn't seen The Lion King. Chad, sad. In The Lion King, you know that scene where the hyenas are going to get little Simba, he's a little cub, and he tries to roar, and they just laugh at him. And they say, do it again. And he roars again, but his dad's behind him, and roars, and the hyenas just, they take off, right? That's the kind of boldness you need. You kind of have to have the boldness that knows that there's a lion behind you, you really don't have anything to worry about. That doesn't take a lot of boldness. But boldness is something you have to pray for. The Apostle Paul asked others to pray for boldness for him. Because it's not about my personal boldness or my intelligence. 
It's about trusting in an amazing, powerful God that does all of that. And I'm just a vessel of his grace. That's all I am. If we live like that, then everything that comes out of our mouth is going to be beautifully intertwined. It's going to be able to reach the heart of people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it'll be gospel. It'll be gospel. We won't have to be like those tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We'll speak gospel. And gospel, declaring the gospel is what we call evangelism. And evangelism is what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to fellowship with my fellow believers. Lord, I do ask that you would be um, active in our lives, Lord. If Lord, we ask for your kindness to reach down and minister to us, to grow us in faith, to grow us into the type of people that find our sustenance in you. We fuel our godliness in your faith, in your power, in your grace, so that we may actually have an effect for your honor and your glory. Lord, help us to abandon our will. Lord, if there are any here that have not submitted their will to who you are and given their lives and their future to you, Lord, do I do ask that today would be the day that they stop worshiping themselves and they worship the king. We pray you're honored and glorified in Jesus' name.